If you turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, as we continue on in 1 Corinthians, the title of today's message is Eyes Wide Open. And when we live in the presence of God, we need to live with our eyes wide open. Um, Not like a person who suddenly knows life is going to run them over, like a, a deer in the headlights type of thing. But as someone who has spiritual eyes, looking to see God's work in and around our lives. Vision is looking at life through the lens of God's eyes. So Paul here, and just a reminder as we go into this portion again, Paul wrote to this church at Corinth. He wrote to a people who lived in a very prosperous city. If you were to pull up a map of Greece today, you would still see the town of Corinth that's still there. Um, But a reminder again of what this church was like. It was a young Christian church. None of them had been Christians for more than six years probably, (laughs) as this was written to them. Most of them were coming out of paganism. Most of them were starting from scratch. Or if they were Jewish, they were coming out of Judaism. And the church was located in that city um, that was not easy to be a Christian there. Um, This was all new. It, It would be difficult. And nothing in Paul's letter would indicate that they were persecuted too heavily about this. But while there might not have been any restrictions perhaps posed on them yet with their worship, the very nature of the culture was a constant threat to the individual Christian. (laughs) It was a city that was relatively new since it had been destroyed and had been rebuilt so it, had a, it was a newer city, less of the restraining traditions that had been there for long times. But yet at the same time, there were the temples to the gods, the Greek gods of the day. By the way, does this sound at all familiar to you? The, uh, these people with all the different backgrounds and the religious backgrounds and they're bombarded by society that stressed materialism. And uh, pleasure, the love of things, a place, as it shows in the ancient writings, that there, where they would put to sleep a tiger, and that would bring more sympathy than if a child died. <laughs> so this letter was not only written to them, it's written to you and me. And God knew that. <laughs> God's word is for us again today. Let me read these first verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and then let's pull apart. We're going to spend our time in verses 6 through 13, but I'm going to read 1 through 15 to set ourselves as we begin. And you may remain seated as I read in God's name today. Paul writes here, he says, For I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. 
nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction. And on, on whom the end of the ages, sorry, on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as, a sense, as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. God calls us to live life with our eyes wide open, first of all, to the past. Look at verses 6 through 11 there as you do that. In verse 6 and verse 11, you see two things. These events that Paul talks about here that happened to the Israelites are to serve as examples and they're to serve as warnings for us. You read it there in that verse 6. Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. And these things happen to them as examples in verse 11, as they're written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. What were these examples and warnings to pay attention to? Do we have these things today? Well, I think you know the answer to that. They're pointed out for us as well today. And the first one there is lust. To set your heart upon something. To desire it so much. A strong desire. And I love the words in James chapter 1, verses 13 through 15. It says that when you're tempted, let no one say that when he's tempted, that I'm tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth, brings forth death. <laughs> Lust. That desire can lead to sin. And then sin, of course, leads to death. And that's the first thing he points out to them as a warning. They had these desires that were not of God. And then he gets a little more straightforward and he talks about idolatry. As he points that out there in verse 7. We need to put away those things instead of putting anything above God. And he brings up the fact that they had done that very thing. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. And they would do these things. And it makes me think about right away we go to the golden calf in Exodus chapter 32. They wanted what they had left Egypt for. They wanted something that they could worship. Now you might be saying to yourself, but I haven't set up any big gold bovine creature in my in my room, in my house. <laughs> but the question comes, have you and I put some person or put ourselves or some treasure that we can't live without to clothes, money, maybe a bobblehead collection? I don't know. <laughs> but we can put them above God. And that's what he's bringing out. I think of the kindergarten teacher who told everyone to draw a picture of what was important to them. And she had them all draw in the back of the room. Little Johnny is working as hard as he can. Everybody was finished except for little Johnny. And the teacher goes back and sits by him and says, Johnny, uh, what are you drawing? 
And he didn't look up because he was so concentrating. He kept working feverishly the picture. He said, I'm drawing God. But Johnny, she said gently, no one knows what God looks like. Johnny did look up at her at that point. He said, they will when I'm done. (laughs) We chuckle at something like that. But in reality, that's what we do so often. We put God into our box. In confirmation class again today, we took a look at that as we say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. To begin to look at who God is. And you begin to see how small we are compared to Him. Yet He still cares about us. Do you remember when, well, some of you may remember, but many of you may not remember, when the cosmonauts, the Russian astronauts, made their first little journey around the earth? Um, The word came back after they had been up there that they were saying that when they were up there, we've been in the air, we've been around the earth, and I see no God up there. By the way, just so you know that that was attributed to Yuri Gargarin. It should be attributed to Nikita Khrushchev. Yuri did not say it, we find out years later. Yuri actually was a believer in Jesus Christ. (laughs) But that's the word that came out. I see no God up there. The the great Baptist preacher W.A. Criswell um, from Dallas the next week made a classic statement about that. This is what he said. He said, Ah, he said, if those cosmonauts had stepped out of their spacesuit, they would have seen God. <laughs> and there's truth in that. To love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind, that's what we're called to do. Oh, that we would have eyes open to see God. And we can see Him through His Word. <laughs> Because when we step out of our spacesuit, we will see God. And will it be too late? The next warning sign here, the next example that's brought out is he talks about sexual immorality in verse 8. Fornication is the actual word that gets used. And some of you might be thinking, oh no, here's another portion of sermon about being sexually pure and all these things. Well, before you shut off on that, please note that what God brings up as an example here comes out of Numbers 25. The Israelite men were invited by the Moabite women to sacrifice to their gods, and it included sexual immorality. The result of that event was that there were Thousands of people that were judged and and killed through it. But you know what else happened through that event? The Israelites began to worship Baal because of taking that step. This struck a note with the Corinthians, by the way, because they had the daily temples around them, the temple of Aphrodite, the goddess of love, and the temple prostitutes. And for many, it was seen as no big deal. It was seen as worship. You and I know that sex is a wonderful gift from God. It's designed by Him for the confines of of marriage. A true wedding between one man and one woman. 
Today it's seen as prudish. Ah, oh, come on, get with it. It's 21st century. <laughs> and we see it in our culture all over the place. But what God has designed is best, isn't it? And that's what you find out. No wonder it was so hard for the Corinthians in that day. And it's, it's hard for us today. Our eyesight becomes dulled to the things there. And we get so used to seeing that we just kind of throw up our hands and say, oh, that's the way it is. <laughs> but we need to open our eyes to the past and learn and be warned. <laughs> there was a television talk show some time ago where the, the guest was an actor. He was well known for his romantic roles in films. And predictably, he was asked this question by the, um, the person in charge of the show. He was asked, what makes a great lover? And I'm confident that probably everybody watching except this standard ex- accepted some sort of macho playboy response or some making flippant to things with regards to that. But to the surprise of the host and the whole audience, his answer must have raised eyebrows all across America. This is what he said. It went something like this. He said, a great lover is someone who can satisfy one woman all her life long and who can be satisfied by one woman all his life long. A great lover is not someone who goes from woman to woman. Any dog can do that, he said. In the words of Chuck Swindoll, as he shared that illustration, Chuck Swindoll said, wow, may his tribe increase. (laughs) See, the next one that comes up is, is these examples and these warnings are there for them and there for us. He brings up the testing of the Lord. Just like a child tests by getting nearer and nearer to a no no that's out there. We are not to test God. And he brings up the, the people of Israel in Numbers 21. As they traveled and, and, and they grew more impatient, they, they said to Moses, why have you brought us out of Egypt to, to get us out here to die? There's no bread. There's no water. We detest this miserable food. And what did the Lord send them? He sent them venomous snakes. Satan tested the Lord. Do we test the Lord with our complaining and taking things into our own hands, thinking we know what's best? (laughs) Now we know that God provided a way out each time. He provided the bronze snake for them to look at, to be healed. He's provided Jesus Christ for us. (laughs) Satan tested the Lord. (laughs) And then he brings up grumbling, murmuring, Complaining, giving audible expression to our dissatisfactions. You see there in Exodus 17, 7, just part of that whole thing with Meribah and Massah. He called the name of the place Meribah, Massah and Meribah because of the chiding of the children of Israel, because they tempted the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? There are so many examples we could bring up, so many things we can learn from. We've been warned with regards to that. But you know what I want to do as we look at these bad examples, as Paul brings them up and the warnings there? I want to throw a good example at you too. Go to the book of Hebrews sometime and read chapter 11. 
Read chapter 11. It's called the Hall of Faith. It brings up the people that followed the Lord. Now, now, none of them are perfect in that regard. And we can see people who truly lived it out as well. That rich heritage of faith. And just as the book of Hebrews gives us a roll call of believers, so too we can look to countless examples of courageous lovers of God around us today too. We need to live with our eyes wide open to the past and to learn from the examples and the warnings. But then he takes us to also look, have our eyes wide open to our present condition. (laughs) If you look there in verse 12, Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. If you think you're standing firm, be careful. He reminds them. He reminds them to take a look at how they are now. It's to be watchful, to be on the alert. The Corinthians needed to be awakened out of their stupor and their false assurance. And for many today, that portion of Scripture can cause terror. I think back years ago, I I, I taught 8th grade Bible at Medicine Lake Lutheran Academy. And when we talked about this verse one time, there was one girl who was just terrified by that verse. She couldn't get past that point that we have a Savior who can help us. And that's what brought her back to that aspect. Now, don't get me wrong. Self-examination is so very important. But what is more important is to ask God to examine us. Because when we ask Him to examine us, then we also see the answer in Him as well. I think of what the psalmist wrote, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me, test me, and know my anxious thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. It's talking about pride here, isn't it? Figuring we're okay because we go to church or we do certain things, we can get haughty and boastful. But most importantly here, it's a God issue. Where is God in our lives? Now, I know in our cars today, in our vehicles, you don't have the full front seats anymore, do we? Very rarely. But in the old days, that's the way everything was. There was the full front seats. And do you ever know, I mean, it might still happen a little bit today if there are full seats. But the, do you ever notice where wives would sit? A lot of times, young couples, you could sit right next to each other. And you could use those benefit corners, you know, and things. Kids, you'll have to ask about that. But... You you remember the, the old story about the husband and the wife? I mean, after years go along, the wife sits farther over, and the wife one day says to her husband, why, did, why, why don't we sit next to each other anymore? And the husband says, I never moved. <laughs> God hasn't moved, has he? God hasn't moved. In Jude 24 and 25 is a benediction where it says, To him who is able to keep you from falling 
to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God and Savior be glory, majesty, and power and authority through Jesus, excuse me, through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages now and forevermore. Amen. He's the one who's able to keep us from falling. We let our pride get in the way. Things change. We need our eyes wide open to the past. We need our eyes wide open to the present. But we also need our eyes wide open through all of this to God. And that's where verse 13, that wonderful promise, comes into play. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man or overtaken you except what's common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. This is one of the most encouraging verses in all the Bible. Next to the fact that Jesus came to die for sinners because God loves me. And the key phrase here in that verse is God is faithful. Have your eyes wide open to him. And if you note the word there, temptation, normally that word means being tempted by sin. In the Greek, however, it's got a little bigger meaning here. It definitely does include the idea of being tempted to sin. But it also includes the idea of a time of trial or a time of testing, as we've been reading about. And let's note here, there really is three words of encouragement with our eyes wide open to God. First of all, God tells us that there's no trial that we may go through, but such as is common to man. If you think it's unique what you're going through, temptation-wise or trial-wise, it is not unique. We think sometimes that it's possibly nobody can understand what we're going through. (laughs) We feel like we're not going to be able to make it because we're having to endure what nobody else has had to endure. (laughs) And God is saying, in essence, here, I know what you're going through. It's very hard. I know it may seem unbearable, but you need to realize that others have gone through it, too. And when we're going through that tough temptation or fiery trial or that trying test in our life, it can help enormously if a friend can come and lay his hand upon our shoulder and honestly say, I know this is tough. I've been through something similar. I didn't think I could make it, but God got me through it. But even if there's not a specific friend around you who's able to do that, you know that God is there and God will help you. Keep your eyes wide open looking to God. The second thing here, God assures us in this verse that we will not he will not allow us to be tested beyond what we are able. How often we feel like we've reached the end of our rope when we really haven't. How often we feel like we cannot endure anymore. You see, God is the one who knows us better than anyone possibly could. He knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows how much we can bear. He knows exactly which straw can break the camel's back. And He promises that He will never allow us to be tested beyond what we are able. And when we cry out, Oh God, I can't take it anymore. He gently reminds us of these words and keeps our eyes wide open for Him. Hebrews 12.2 says, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, 
He's the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before us endured the cross and scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And finally here, he promises that with the temptation, he will provide the way of escape so that you may be able to bear it. There are times where it seems like there's no way out. It's as if we've been pushed into a room with no windows and no doors and we can't see hope. And in those times, he says, I will make a way of escape. If we have our eyes open to it. It's not easy to remember how limited our vision is when we're staring at horrible circumstances or things that are very pleasurable, yet we know are sinful. It's not easy to remember that we have a Father who's bigger than any circumstance could ever be. But it's during those times that our eyes need to be wide open in that sense to God rather than the circumstances. There's a saying, and I I put it at the end of the thing here. Most of us tend to gaze at our circumstances and we glance at God now and then. (laughs) We need to reverse that. We need to let God reverse that in our lives. (laughs) We need to gaze upon God. And glance at the circumstances. Because when you do glaze at God, when you gaze at Him, you see once again what He did for you and me. You see the fact that Jesus came and went to the cross. Took our sin upon Himself. You see that Jesus died and you see that He rose again to defeat all of those things. And we begin to see God. Don't get me wrong. If we saw God in reality when that day comes, if we saw Him as we are now, we would end up on our faces and we will end up on our faces one day as all will bow before Him. But to see Him as He truly is and what He's done, that's where to gaze. May our eyes be open to the past to learn from the warnings and the examples. May they be open to the present as we see ourselves and not let our pride take us down. May our eyes be open to God, to His Word. Heavenly Father, thank You for Your Word today. Thank You for the truth. For the warnings, the examples, Lord, thank You for those things. But most of all, thank You that we can look to You and You alone. Help us to believe. Help us to trust. And help us to know that we can love you with our whole heart, our mind, our soul, because you have loved us first. Lord, have your own way today. Holy Spirit, call to each of us, I pray.